0: Well, in the beginning of what was probably the darkest day in the history of the people of God, the Babylonian soldiers came streaming over the walls in Jerusalem. The siege that had lasted almost two years was over. And all of a sudden, the Babylonian army, one of the most elite, powerful killing machines in the world at that time, they were wreaking havoc through the city of God. Welcome to Dallas Church. You ready for an encouraging message? <laughs> so in this day, in the middle of that, that day marked what would be called the exile. And it's an event in the Bible that happens at about the middle of the Bible that changed the way that the people of God looked at their world. And it's, a, it's an event and a lens that if we look at the Bible through this lens, all of a sudden there are some things that start to fall into place... and things that make sense. So how did they get to this point? How did Israel get to the point... where the Babylonians were able to come in... and capture them, haul them off... out of the promised land, the land that God had given them... as a mark of His promise that He would be their God... they would be His people. But all of a sudden, that's over. And they're taken away into this land of Babylon... and they're taken away far from home. This is the same nation. Maybe you grew up in Sunday school hearing some of these stories. When they were just a group of slaves in Egypt, God had brought Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time, he had brought that nation to its knees to rescue these people out of Egypt. When the time came for them to go into the land and to take it, when they walked around a city, all they had to do was shout, and the walls came tumbling down. When a giant stood in front of the armies of Israel and nobody had the guts to go and fight him, a little shepherd boy is what God used to free the people of Israel for oppression. And so why? That's a question on all of these Israelites' minds as they're being carried off into exile. Why did God let this happen? And it goes all the way back. ...to a speech at the end of the book of Deuteronomy... ...which I'm sure, like, all of us are like... ...I want to find some encouragement in the Bible... ...I'm going to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) Well, so at the end of the book of Deuteronomy... ...right before Moses is is blessing the people... ...and kind of sending them into this promised land... ...he gives them two choices. He tells them, you have two paths in front of you. You can keep the commandments of the Lord... You can do the things that God has set out. You can live the life that God has called you to live. Or you can go your own way. You can break the covenant, break the promises and say, I don't want to do things, to use an old English word, thy way. I want to do things my way. And what happened to the nation of Israel is as time went on and time went by, they said, my way. And over and over again, you read in the Old Testament, there's all these books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, all of these prophets. And they have one message to Israel. They say, turn back to God. Not my way. Thy way. His way. But Israel hardened their hearts. And so God caused this exile to bring them about. Now, once again, isn't this super encouraging, guys? this is going to be a fun message. Normally I'm like up here like youth group style, like let's do this. It's a good day. Let's get peppy. No, we're going to deal with some heavy stuff because the Bible is not just a book of light and happy stories, but it is a story of God moving in our world. And we live in a world, like we live in a real world where you look around and there are things that should not be things that we wish weren't the case. You scroll through Facebook, you scroll through CNN or Fox or any of the other news networks for about five seconds, and we live in a world where there is war and oppression and people doing harm to each other, and that's not the ideal that I would like to live in. I wish I lived in a world full of peace and harmony and people caring about each other and putting others first, And I think that the reason that we have that feeling and we look at some of these things and they kind of chafe against our soul and we look at things we say that should not be is because we were built for a world where that wasn't the case. We were built for a home and a world that is different than the one that we live in. And so the nation of Israel, they find themselves far from home and maybe you found yourself far from home before. Maybe not quite to the same level or, or you know, a, a nation coming in and taking you, you off to a different land. Like, I've never been kidnapped and taken to a different country. So, I'm um, really glad. I'm hoping that stays true my whole life. Um, but I have been in a different country. I've been in a different culture. I've been in a place where I was far from the home that I wanted to live in. When I was 16, I went and spent a summer in South Korea. And I thought this was gonna be really fun. Like, I'm an adventurous person. I like to try new things and to get out there and to do different things. Like, my wife's idea of a good weekend is like, we stay home, we watch Netflix, clean the house, like, stay home. I wanna get out there and like hike Smith Rock. Like, let's go do something fun. And so I'm 16 years old and I'm thinking, do I want to go spend a summer working in a different country? Yes. Here we go. So I spent the first six weeks or so working in these English camps where I was teaching kids English um, because I don't know Korean. And so I'm in South Korea and I'm the English teacher and then the campers would also have a South Korean teacher and their kind of counselor to speak their language. So we're doing this immersion thing. We're going on adventures. It's just a blast for six weeks. And then all the other English teachers went home and I stayed behind to be the personal assistant for the CEO of that company for a little while. Because his, his personal assistant's visa had expired, and he wanted me to stick around and help him with some stuff. And so I was like, yeah, I can do that. Like, Let's, let's extend this trip. Um, I had just a couple hundred bucks in my pocket. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live on this. And I was responsible for transporting myself. I was responsible for providing for my own lunches. And everything like that. And then all of a sudden, like, my computer broke day two. So I had to learn how to operate Microsoft Office in South Korean. And, like, just Korean. But uh, because there's not North and South languages. That's just one thing. Anyways, um, you guys don't care about that. You haven't spent a summer over there. But uh, when I'm trying to figure out how to operate Microsoft Word, I'm, like, trying to figure out the pattern and figure this out. And it was no fun. I was trying to navigate the bus system. Once again, not speaking Korean, I'm trying to like. You think that like American public transportation is hard enough? Try putting yourself in a different country. You got to navigate public transportation over there. And so there was one night where I fell asleep on the bus. It was really late. It was like 11:30. I'm coming home, and so I wake up. This is probably the most scared I've ever been in my life. Because I wake up at this bus stop, and I just get off at the first stop that we come to, because I'm, I'm panicking. I come out, and I'm looking around, and I don't recognize anything. That is the farthest that I have ever been from home. And I'm walking around, I'm trying to orient myself. I have, to this day, I have no idea how I got back. I just kind of wandered until I finally saw one group of buildings that I was like, that looks like the ones... ...that are near the ones I should live in... ...so I'll walk over there... ...and I've eventually wandered my way home. It's crazy! But there's sometimes when life feels... ...like we're far from home... ...and that we're just kind of wandering... ...and trying to figure out our way. So we're jumping into this series... ...where we are exploring... ...the biblical theme of exile. Would you turn to your neighbor... ...and say the biblical theme of exile... The biblical theme of exile. Way to go. And that's not a phrase that we're going to bust out every day. Like, you're not going to bust that out in the break room tomorrow and be like, well, guess what I learned about? I learned about the biblical theme of exile. Like, you're not sitting around at the dinner table being like, I'm just really concerned about the biblical theme of exile. But here's the deal. This theme of exile in the Bible is a lens... That when you start to look at the Bible from this perspective, it's hopefully going to draw some, some connections and connect some dots that are going to make it so you don't even read the Bible the same way again. This is one of the series that I'm kind of the most excited for because a year ago when Ben and I were like writing this out and trying to figure out where do we want to go and, and teach our church through the Bible, this was one of those where we just were like, this is blowing our minds. Like, every time we'd read something new about it, we'd be like, did you see this? Like, this, this connects to that and connects to that. And so it's super cool and exciting that we get to dive into it. One of the ways to look at a biblical theme is it's almost like a lens or a facet on a, on a gemstone. Now, this is not a real gemstone, because my pastor's salary would not allow me to come in with a real gemstone this big. But this is a paperweight. But when it comes to gemstones, they have facets... And when you look through a certain facet on a gemstone, it changes the way you see the whole thing. And if you look at it from a different perspective, you're going to see different things. So maybe you've looked at the Bible through one lens before. I'm hoping that in this series, you're going to be able to look through and see it from a whole new lens. So would you pray with me? That's a good reminder to pray. Father God, I pray that you are here in this series and in in this morning. As we are studying together and we are trying to be your people, God, that you would remind us who we are and who you are and that you would help us to follow you even though we're in a world where it's sometimes that we're far from home. And so we trust you in everything, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this, this biblical theme of exile, of, of people being far from home, it's something that goes all the way through the Bible. And you guys know what the Bible is, right? Like, we like the Bible here at Dallas Church. The Bible is God's Word. 66 documents put together into one book. And and these documents, there's something that happened when they were created. It's not like we just grabbed random books. You know, like every book we find, we're like, oh, man, i got to study this. How to win friends and influence people. That's the Word of God. No, these are different because there was an interplay between the human author writing this out and the Spirit of God working in it, and then moving the people of God to record and to hang on to these things. And when it comes to the Bible, there are 66 different books written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages, three different continents, and they tell one story. They tell one story. The story of God working in people. And so the big picture story of the Bible can be divided into kind of four different sections. You've got creation, where God makes everything. You've got the fall, where humans, we mess it up. And then you've got redemption, where Jesus makes a way for new life, which leads to ultimately new creation. And in the middle of that big story, we're going to be exploring in this series this theme of exile. So today what I want to do is I kind of want to tee it up. So that next week, Ben can knock it out of the park. Because he's going to be exploring kind of the nuts and bolts of what it comes to when we live as people in exile. So I'm going to explain how did we get here. When it comes to the big picture story of the Bible. So would you open with me and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And in in Genesis, we've got the big picture story of where God creates the world. God creates a world that is perfect and at peace and harmony and there's no evil and all of the things that cause us to have problems in this world. Like God creates this world, and let's read Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. He puts them in this garden, and it's the Garden of Eden, which the biblical word garden means something deeper than just that patch of vegetables that you have in like your backyard. The biblical word garden is almost like a state park, where it's this like all-inclusive resort that God has built and designed, and he puts human in there, and he gives them the mission... To live in it, to work it, to multiply and and rule in this garden. And so he gives them that mission to make this a hospitable place to live in. And so when you wake up and you go to work and you do something that benefits other people, you're living out that mission of God that he gave humans when he put them in the garden. When you help someone else, when you raise a child, when you have a family, when we make our world a better place, we're living out that image of God, that mission of God that is stamped on our hearts. And he puts the people in the garden, and he gives them one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you've hung around toddlers for more than about five seconds, if you put the cookie on the table and you say, don't eat the cookie, what's going to happen? Like, they're going to eat the cookie, okay? So, to some extent, it's kind of interesting that God does this. He puts the, the tree in the garden, and it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know exactly what all God meant or what was going on in his head when he he put this together, but he's doing it for a reason. And so he puts this tree in there, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's almost like he's saying, don't take from good and evil, don't define that on your own terms, but just trust me. But just trust me. Because when they take of the fruit, in order to do that, it's almost like they would have to say, I'm choosing what is good and evil. God does not get to choose what is evil. They're not saying, thy way, but my way. And so God puts them in the garden, and we we know how this goes. Chapter 3, let's go to verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now notice here, we're kind of extrapolating what God said. And there's an enemy that comes in and starts to get the wheels turning where he's trying to get her to doubt the goodness of God. To kind of question, do I really want to do things God's way? Or do I want to do it my way? So he puts the question forth, like, did God say not any tree? And the answer is no. Like, he just had that one tree. He said not that one. And so then, verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, when you look at this, there's two key words in here. She saw the fruit, and she took. And those words are echoed over and over again throughout the story of the Bible, When someone's going to do something to mess up, they're going to see and they're going to take. They're going to say, not God's way, but my way. When this guy named Abraham, who God gives him a promise that he's going to make a nation through him, well, Abraham's tired of waiting. And they see that they have this Egyptian girl with them and, and they take, and then that causes problems and pain. And later on, when The history in in Israel, they look around and they see that the other nations have a king. Siri's trying to help me out. But they see that the other nations have a king. And so they go and they take. And when we take beyond what it is that God would have us to do, that is where pain in our world comes from. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths, and they covered themselves. Now, the description in Genesis is super bare bones. And he gives this picture of vulnerability, where they don't have to hide themselves, they don't have to be afraid, they don't have to be in shame. But all of a sudden, once they take that fruit, then the walls come up. And all of a sudden, they're hiding from each other, they're hiding from God, so then how does this go? Maybe you've, maybe you've heard this story before. In Genesis 3, 22 through 23, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil, no lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So there's this this thing, there's kind of two trees going on. One of them is the knowledge of good and evil, and that results in pain and sadness and badness and all of that. And then there's the tree of life. And God says that we don't want the man to eat from the tree of life, because apparently that lets you live forever if you follow the logic of the story. And so God Exiles this person from the garden. Because wouldn't it be awful to live forever in the world that we have today? Like, wouldn't that be awful if this was all that we had? And so God exiles them from the garden, but it's in this bigger story of a mission of hope where He's bringing about something bigger. And so, when it comes to the problem of evil in this world, when you look around this world and you see things that should not be, when we have bad days, there's a kid's book that I love the title of. It's called Alexander and the Horrible, Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And I can tell you, I have had some horrible, terrible, no good, very bad days in my life. Sometimes it can be as simple as getting up and being on the wrong side of the bed, and and getting up and there's no coffee in the house, there's no gas in the car, and traffic won't let me through. Like, who's had a day like that before? I've had that day. Sometimes it's the big stuff. Where loved ones are in the hospital, where there's diagnoses, where marriages are falling apart, where families have strife. And we live in a world surrounded by terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And it comes from this moment where humans said, not... Thy way, but my way. And so it's, it should be no surprise to us that the world that we live in doesn't work the way we want it to work. C.S. Lewis called this world the Shadowlands, where things aren't working exactly how they're supposed to. It's almost like we see a silhouette of how things are supposed to be. And so we shouldn't throw up our hands and be like, and lose hope and, and fall into despair when this world doesn't work the way we want it to because, guys, we're literally on the wrong side of the tracks. And wouldn't that be a great? That, that's not a super encouraging place for me to leave you today. So I'm not. Let's skip ahead to the end of the story. You ever done that with a book before? You're like, I don't know if the hero's going to make it through. So you turn to the end to see how it happens. I've done that before. So let's go all the way to the end in the book of Revelation. And I want you to kind of parallel these images and word pictures, okay? So in the beginning, we have a garden. And all the way at the end, there's a city. And so it's not two people in a garden. It's all the nations returned to God in the new Jerusalem. Returning from ...the ultimate exile. And if you look at who the bad guys are... ...in the book of Revelation... ...this, is, this was written by the Apostle John... ...one of Jesus' disciples... ...who said this is how it ends... ...and it's with Jesus kicking butt. Because he walks in... ...and he takes out what's not a serpent... ...he takes out the dragon. And Babylon's present there... ...which is re- referring back... ...to that exile that Israel had. And so when we look at the description at the end... We came from the garden. This is where we're going. Revelation 21, 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that's our home. That's where we're moving towards. That's what humans were built to live in. We were built to live in connection with God in a world where there isn't mourning or crying or pain or all of those things that trip us up and make this world be a place where there are horrible, terrible, no good, very bad days. And when when Jesus comes back, when everything is put right... God is moving us towards that state. And so no wonder our heart feels some tension. We feel the rub of living in this world, which is not our home, knowing that we are destined for an eternal home. So if you have those two pictures in your head, the question that I really want to know is how do we get there? Like, how do we get home? And the answer is one man two-syllable word, one name, Jesus. Jesus. We really like Jesus here at Dallas Church. We talk about him a lot. We follow the teachings of Jesus because Jesus was God as a man in a body, came down on earth. My dad likes to sum this up. He says the message of the Bible is if you want something done right, you do it yourself. Because that's what God does, is he comes down as Jesus and he lives the life we should have lived. He chooses God's way, never his way. And he died on a Roman cross, rose again three days later, and it is through him that we have hope of life beyond this world. And when he started preaching, it's really interesting to me what he said in Matthew four seventeen. He said, from at that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's pushing them, leaning them towards that kingdom of heaven. And so the big idea that I want to leave you with today, I'm just kind of teeing it up. We're going to keep exploring this. We're going to keep talking about this. The big idea that I want to leave you with today is that you are in exile, awaiting your true home. We are far from home, and we want to get back to our home. And so... When it comes to the so what. Because I do want us to have an application from this. Because we can't just talk about this biblical theme of exile and let it kind of blow our minds without it affecting our lives. And so my challenge for you is that sometime this week to kind of sit down. Maybe it's in your devotional time. Maybe you have a rhythm of sitting down with God and opening the Bible. But my challenge for you is to write down three things. To identify three things in this world that come from the fact that we live in a current state of exile, that this is not our true home. Three things that maybe you wish were different. And to kind of write out and try to imagine, like, what's it going to be like when God puts those three things right? Because that's where we're going. That's why we have hope. That's why we gather every Sunday, to remember that we have Jesus and that we have hope. We're going to celebrate communion in just a second. And when we do that, we remember what Jesus did to give us hope for our future life. One of the ways that the Bible says this is in Galatians. It says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so regardless of where you're at with Jesus, maybe you're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing, and you're like, exile, what does that even have to do with my life? Or maybe you're someone who's been studying the Bible for a really long time, And maybe you're connecting some dots. We hope that this message, this idea that we have a home beyond this world, that that might cause your heart to move towards Jesus. And so if you want to take a next step, if maybe you're ready to get baptized or join a small group or or do something like that, or maybe you just want to talk about what it means to give your life to Jesus, you can come up to me after the service. You can up to this guy, Ben. He's pretty smart. He knows a lot more than me. He's the lead pastor here. And with that, let's pray and take communion. Father God, we trust you. God, we want to live our lives in your way and not our way. God, we want to live as your people, even when this world trips us up, and even when we go through hard times. And so we trust you with everything, Jesus, and we remember that it's in you we have life. Amen.